Hello friends, Jake J. Thomas here of Jake J. Thomas Photo, bringing you another episode of the Dialogic Podcast. Today I am coming to you from Santa Cruz, California, and we here are in the midst of a shelter-in-place order. This is actually day one of a three-week order to shelter-in-place, and that's a huge development and uh that's what social media is you know on fire with that topic today but i didn't spend most of my day looking at social media i did some work uh this morning writing a blog for a dear friend of mine his business um Evolve Activation is a experiential marketing business and I've been doing some writing with him so I took care of finishing up a blog which is kind of a general response to this incredible shift in our culture in our in our world, you know, we're in this amazing moment of history having changed right before us, around us, through us, and we don't know what it means yet, we don't know exactly how to deal with it, and right now we're just trying to flatten the curve of infection, there's a new virus you know, this is such a terrifying moment for a lot of people. You know, and a lot of people, it's not scary at all. And, you know, I don't think, to me, that's not really the interesting part of it. Although, you know, mental health is going to be a serious question during these next weeks, you know, how are people coping with the stress? How are people dealing with the cognitive dissonance of an entirely new world? You know, what are people doing to process this information? You know, and maybe it's not an entirely new world. Maybe it's just, it's just part of a cycle that we're not accustomed to. You know, maybe this is similar to the 1919 Spanish influenza, which we know about, but we haven't really gotten into as a subject matter. I mean, I can't think of any good novels or movies set during the Spanish influenza. Usually that's the way we learn about these things in history. I don't know why that history is so hard for us to study because it's so compelling when you actually imagine it as the lived experience of the people like you during a time not so distant in this very place you know so thinking about the history of where you're from should be exciting because a lot of exciting stuff has happened there just like it's happening now and So yes, 
mental health, we're in the midst of a crisis and mental health is going to be a big factor and whether that's, you know, this sort of sociopathic lack of fear and kind of a cavalier attitude. I went for a hike today. That's something that's allowed, even though we have to shelter in place, you can go out and get exercise as long as you go solo or stay six feet away from people. I don't really know, you know exactly how they're gonna enforce that or what that's gonna be like, but as of right now, it's kind of like, we'll see, but <clears throat> there's no rule against going for a hike. You know, that's a great way to get some, some uh, edge on your mental health, you know? Because you both get exercise and you get to be surrounded by the natural world, which is kind of reassuring even, and especially during these times when everything is in flux to have something that, you know, still feels good and solid and healthful and wholesome and that it is the natural world to which we belong. And, you know, I mean, disease is part of the natural world and you know, evolution is a very, very cruel, wild thing, you know, and it's interesting, beyond interesting, it's unbelievable, it's unthinkable, it's unimaginable, it's terrifying, it's horrifying, it's no big deal, it's every single which way you could ever want to feel. And it epitomizes what we have been experiencing. It sort of brings one of the things we've been experiencing during the past few years to this fever pitch, to this boiling point, to this transitional interlude when one thing becomes another, which is a kind of death of a sort. It's a death of a state of a time. And as we transition into whatever we are transitioning into, that kind of resonates a lot with what's happening right now. You know, and the question is, what kind of transition do we want it to be and how do we want to make it and what do we want to become? So, we've been thinking about that a lot. And part of what I want to be is more connected to the natural world, the landscape around me, to my own body, to something I understand, to being grounded. So I want to explain a little bit kind of what the project I've been working on is, you know, and <clears throat> what I want it to be and why I think it's important and how I'm going to continue to work on it. Uh, so I, it's inspired by working with a model that I fell in love with who became my girlfriend when we started a project together. And part of that project, we were looking at fashion world and sort of you know, what is happening, what the, what the trends are in terms of 
the content that's being created in the fashion world and just trying to figure out, you know, some fun, interesting ways to play with photography and fashion. But so one of... <laughs> when I said it like that, <laughs> I thought of Andrew Schultz and his hilarious thing, which, by the way, side note, coming back to the fashion thing, but Andrew Schultz is doing some great stuff. If you guys want content, you're looking for something to keep you company during these strange times, I su highly suggest tuning into his Flagrant 2 podcast series. He's doing daily, sometimes twice a day, updates on, you know, what's happening with this situation. And he's a stand-up comedian and a podcaster and just a, a, a free-thinking intellectual, a mind a guy I respect and uh, check him out. But yeah, so <clears throat> back my little detour back to uh oh, what was I detouring back to? You know, this happens so many times in a podcast, and it's so funny. But fashion, it's just classic. So the thing is, we were looking at fashion, right? And how, what part of what is happening in the world of fashion is this tremendous emphasis on the sustainability. Okay, and so, so partly to put it in parentheses and give a little more context, more of the reason why we were looking into fashion is because we were working with a brand. And particularly, it's a brand that's very much based around an idea of sustainability. And so we wanted to learn more about that. And it just so happens that that really is kind of the dominant trend in fashion for 2020 and the foreseeable future. And that's partly because of the way that fashion has not been responsible in the production of clothes, you know, and, you know, maybe that's part of what is going to be the outcome of this global situation that we're in right now. It seems like things are going to get radically restructured when things return to functional. Now, I don't think things are going to return to normal. I don't even know what normal really is, but it's also kind of just the way things are that you can't step in a river twice. Things move forward, not backwards, and they change, even if they seem the same. So there's no going back. There's only what comes next. And, you know, it's like every surfer knows that you can only catch the waves that are coming, not the ones that are gone. And there's always more coming. So it's all about preparation and positioning and, you know, just paying attention, listening, reading, watching, talking. And so that's, you know, what I think <clears throat> is happening as we adjust to this new way of being. But back to the fashion, not Andrew Schultz, but you know, sort of the Vogue fashion world of people wanting to change the reputation of fashion, people wanting to, 
you know, revolutionize. All artists want to revolutionize everything anyways, you know? It's just what the nature of the beast is. It's like not ever happy with how it is. Got to revolutionize it again. That's always what we do one way or another. So right now in this moment, as everything is in flux, it's kind of like, well, what are we going to do? You know, what? what's the new goal? What's the new order? I don't mean like, like the new world order, like kind of scary <clears throat> conspiracy thing, but I mean like we're going to have to create whatever comes next. So what do we want to create? You know, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of things that we could start from scratch with, and uh, we could do way better. Okay, let me give you an example. If we were going to reorder society after this whole debacle resolves itself, <clears throat> one of the main things that I would want to change about the way our culture works is the lack of emphasis that we give to kids' safety. Now, it's the weirdest thing because so much of our lives are, are shaped by kids, you know. We have kind of a childish culture in a lot of ways, for good or bad, you know, whatever. Like, superhero movies reign supreme right now. You know, that's like what every season is ruled by in the box office is you know something kind of childish but also kind of cool i don't know what to tell you about that um and yet we have a total lack of accountability when it comes to keeping kids safe and that just seems like that should be our first priority. And I think that, you, you know, without, uh, I'm not going to go into all the ways that I think that kids are unsafe in our culture, but I'll just, I'll just break it down kind of economically, first of all, and first and foremost, the youngest kids in our culture are the most important, correct? I mean, they're the most impressionable, the most vulnerable, the most fragile. They need the most care. But we live, duh, right? lived in a culture where both parents would go to work, you know, pretty shortly after the child is born. I mean, like, maternity leave might be, you know... In a good situation, in normal situation, that's not going to be a whole year here. So that means a child, a baby, is going to go into daycare at six months, right? Now, parents, that mean, have to pay 
basically the equivalent of what it would be like to send a child to private school immediately. And yet, that still is paying so little relative to the importance of the task. You know, and so it's almost like, I don't know what the solution to that is, except that it's almost like school should start from year one. But we should pay teachers, you know, premium salaries so that we attract, it's, a, it's incentivized to attract high level talent you know, whereas right now, I feel like that's not the case. And it's thankfully the case that high-level talent often... <clears throat> high <clears throat> oh, excuse me. High-level talent often chooses that profession. <clears throat> very quality and talented people choose that profession because they understand how important it is, but they're not choosing it for the economic rewards. So in other words, and, and eventually what that means is once they have a family, they're going to have to make a choice uh, to do something that makes more money or to continue to do something they believe in that doesn't make as much money. You know, so I think we need to make it much more expensive. We, no, it should be much more expensive to care for children years zero to five. And that should be a mandatory thing, not, I don't know, that's not the right word. I'm not thinking mandatory. That should be a universal right to humans who are born to have some quality care from the very first year of their lives. Okay? You know, if you shouldn't have it be if you were born to a family who has less money and has to go to work and can't afford quality care that you're going to end up at six months old in a situation that will shape the rest of your life because of money. That's just one of the ways that I think we could reorganize our culture, our society, and do a better job because it's so hard to go from where we were to there. And that's the thing about this whole situation is that absolutely unthinkable things have happened, have stopped, will have to be restarted, may not start again. You know, it's like really, really, really hard to fathom what's happening right now. And I think that that's the main thing that you see 
if you look on social media right now, is you're going to see a lot of people responding with all the usual memes and, you know, it's like, there, there's a big difference between publishing something, sharing something, because you think it could be useful to anyone, to yourself, to people you love, to the audience, to the friends you share it with. That is, <clears throat> that is one, one angle, one approach, one motivation for publishing stuff. I would say that's about 1% of the content that is being published right now, especially as all people are quarantined home here. People are just going to be using Facebook kind of as a journal, as a way to process their emotions, as a way to vent, as a way to stimulate themselves, as a way to deal with everything. So, that is going to be prevalent, and it's definitely marking these times with a, uh, you know, it's kind of an unfortunate effect of social media, or it's a shortcoming of our ability to use social media in a way that is effective and only because I work with social media you know I've had to really come up with some techniques to deal with the effects that social media can have on you you know I could be looking at it all the time and in fact it is such a big part of my life in the last six years that I've had to come up with some really uh, rigorous ways of dealing with the effects and not being affected by it, not becoming addicted to it, you know, and, um, you know, the first thing I do is I wake up every day and I write before I look at social media and I write usually for an hour and a half before I look at anything. And that kind of, that kind of starts me out on the offensive and I don't have other people's programs and agendas rattling around in my mind and drawing my attention in a thousand directions. I just have my own voice, my own intention, the problems that are in my life, the projects that are lighting fires in my mind and everything in between. So that's how I like to start the day and that's partly an antidote to the poisons of social media because I've already kind of established my path by the time that I hear what other people are up to and then you know hopefully if I've done some good writing I've come up with some good ideas I've gotten past the point of just venting and just thinking through sort of emotional processes of dealing with the reality that is facing us to get to a point where then I also have some ideas that are coming to me from that space that nobody understands but seems to open up once you don't have 
the clutter of all of those negative emotions and fear and anxiety and anger and hatred and whatever else is occupying your mind during these times when you're blaming other people, if you're, you know, blaming yourself, if you're, whatever it is you're doing, <clears throat> if you can get past that, there's a place where ideas exist. And one of the ways to do that is by writing before you look at your social media. Anyways, kind of works for me sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I just sit there and I just write. But I do it every day. I do it every day. Sometimes I just sit there and write and I don't come up with anything great and I just do vent. And But still, it gets me that much closer to that field of ideas. The other stuff I do, I don't even know if I want to tell you yet because it's so near and dear to me. It's so precious to me that I kind of guard it like a, a special secret. But I do want to be transparent with you and I do want to share with you my good techniques for coping with radical change and uh, radical uncertainty. Oh, which circles back to a point that I was trying to make earlier when I was talking about what is underlying the situation that we're all in, which has been brought to a point of crisis in this moment of sheltering in place is the undecidability of truth, which is kind of a postmodern condition. And by that, I mean there's this whole network of intellectual movements that happened during the 20th century, which led to this very confusing term of post things, but post-modern being one of them, which really comes out of a French school of thought called post-structuralism, which to make it super, super basic all stems out of this, you know, the, there were these, the beginning of the 20th century had all of these sort of systems being developed, you know, sociology, all these systems of modern, modernization of modernity ways of studying culture, you know, disciplines were being developed. And uh, one of them was sociology, one of them was psychology, you know, um, is this going to be interesting to you guys? I think so. But so one of them is linguistics. And it was, you know, trying to systematize the study of language. And so there was a seminar given by a French philologist, a somebody who studies language, and it, his name was Saucer. And he came up with this theory about how language worked, which 
was very abstract, but the main point that people took away from the seminar and then developed into post-structuralism, right? Because he was talking about, he, he was participating in a movement of people who were trying to develop a structural understanding of language, structuralism. And so he had these graphs and this whole system of understanding how a word was a sign, but a sign was made up of the signifier, the symbol, and the signified, the, the concept. Right? And that there was an arbitrary relationship between those two. So that the word Monterey has nothing intrinsically, inherently connected to that county, that place, that city, that type of tree that is Monterey. You know, and that's names especially are especially arbitrary, but all words are not innately connected to their meanings, which meant that there was this space between the sign and its meaning, between the signifier and the signified. And so people took that into a lot of different directions, but basically what it did was destabilized kind of our concept of truth, right? So that's where postmodern thought comes into play is in this world where language is not stable, meaning is not stable, therefore truth is not stable. Now, flash forward to recent times, and that makes a lot of sense. When you think about the intentional destabilization of truth through the act of radical lying, um, which people would call gaslighting or any other sort of terms where you're kind of just intentionally lying to confuse, to create cognitive dissonance, to, you know, generally to muddy the waters of truth. Um, and when that happens effectively enough, it really undermines our sense of what is true. And when that happens that much, it usually results in some sort of violent response. So postmodern thinkers like to refer to the L.A. riots and the uh, video of Rodney King being beaten by police officers and then the interpretation given by the jury of not guilty having such a gap between the signifier, the thing that they saw, the video of this beating, and the signified, the meaning, the way the jury interpreted that with the power of law behind them as okay on the part of the police officers 
that was such a radical distance between those two. You know, it was as though he came out and said the sky was orange. And if you don't believe that, then you lose all validity. You know, so it was like asking people to just think that they're crazy. And so it resulted in riots. You know, people rioted and it was a violent response to a violent interpretation of media recording of violence. So now we have this virulent virus that is changing the way we live as humans but it's happening in the context of a world where truth has been so riddled with radical lying that people are having a hard time coming to terms with the reality of their situation but seems like possibly maybe likely the situation will give us a chance to return to a sense of honest truthfulness and I've got a lot of ideas about how we can do that how to ground ourselves how to measure ourselves how to be sustainable so more thoughts about that coming up. I'm going to try and check in here on a daily basis, if possible. Very busy. But I want to engage with you all during these times. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you have any questions, thoughts, ideas you want me to discuss. Or if you want to have someone, you know, I... Uh, come we'll have to be six feet apart but we can do a dual recording any ideas for the dialogic podcast love to hear them thanks for tuning in till next time this is jake j thomas of jake j thomas photo another episode of the dialogic podcast peace